Welcome to the table. I'm your host, Jeff Harpole. Today we're talking about um, the generational church. The Lord gave me this many years ago, and and I wanted to describe it to you today. I have um, our minister of music, Zach, and and our, our youth pastor here, uh, Andrew, and we're just going to talk a little bit about the generational church. There is a church in Siena, Italy, the Duomo, um, that began in 1215. Uh, wow, that was a long time ago. And the construction of that church began with great artisans. And as it was being built, the men of, of Siena, Italy, uh, built the homes and their houses around it. You can look this up online. Inside the church are these mosaic pieces, tile cut perfectly to uh, to make pictures on the floor and the walls and the ceilings. It's just phenomenal. But the men knew that they were not going to be able to finish the building and the church uh, in their lifetime. So they taught their sons how to be artisans, and they gave them the vision of it. And their sons worked all their life, and then their sons, of course, then they realized we're not going to finish this, so they taught their sons. So generation after generation, they were working on uh, the Duomo of Siena. And so I call this the principle of um, Siena Duomo. In fact, even today, they're not quite finished. Can you imagine? Hundreds and hundreds of years later, they're not quite finished with all the mosaic pieces and the tiles and the incredible marble uh, tiles have as they've been cut. And this demanded a generational thought. And the reason why is because the covenant was never supposed to stop with Abraham. It was supposed to be handed down to Isaac and to Jacob and then his sons all the way down to us. A generational church is the building up of the body through multiple generations. It's an intentional and deliberate action to teach and train so that the next generation can perpetuate this apostolic Pentecostal faith and the doctrine of Jesus Christ. So that's what we're doing. We've been working on this for uh, Pastor Andrew, I think maybe about 15 years. And we've tried to be intentional to train children uh, to be inactive and be active and activated in our churches. And then our young people, young adults, young marrieds or singles, uh, all age groups to be active in the church um, I'll just give you one example of this in our church. We have a kids worship center and in the kids worship center, <clears throat> there's a small sound booth in the back. It's, it's real cute. There's sound booth in the back. There's a little sound board and a little light board and a computer. It's a Mac Macintosh computer. And there's a small stage up front. And I think it probably holds maybe 90 kids or 120 kids, something like that. No adults go to the to that little sound booth. There, there are no adults back there. It's run by eight, nine, ten year olds, eleven year olds. They're singing on the platform. They're running the sound. They're putting batteries in the microphones. And our, of course, our leaders of the sound and media and lights and and music, they've all trained these kids. And the kids are very they're brilliant. They they don't have any problem working with a computer. In fact. I have a smartphone. It's smarter than me. I don't know how to operate it. It's, 
I always have to ask, if I ask a little kid how to fix my phone, one of these children around the church can fix my computer and my phone. And it's, it's embarrassing, but uh, I'm so far. I got a conference I want to start called Behind the Times. <laughs> I'm so far behind. So that's the generational church. They learn there. And then when they graduate at 12 years old, they go to the youth center. And the youth center, it, it's 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 our former building. It's beautiful. And there's a, there's that same Mac computer or a Mac computer just like they we're accustomed to at eight, nine, 10, 11 year old, year old, years old. And they're running the same sound, a little bit bigger soundboard, bigger stage, but they've already learned all the programs. By the time they graduate from there, they go, to, they come to the main campus and those young people know how to run the sound. Now it's a much larger system. There's a lot more computers. We've got so many computers <laughs> and a large soundboard and a big lighting system. But, they can do that because we've created that in them when they were eight years old. They're not afraid of it. They're accustomed to it. They're doing the same thing over and over again for all these years. So we have 15 years under our, our belt and now we're seeing this come about where, you know, that nine-year-old, he's now in his twenties and he's doing some phenomenal things. You know, they, they had a way, a platform to grow, um, a place to expand and learn and they've grown up. That's the generational church. Right. In fact, one night I had Zach, you were, this is years ago. You were playing the keyboard. I can't remember what song. Uh, yes. uh, yeah, I do remember this. <clears throat> you, you were it's playing Waymaker. Waymaker. Yeah. You're playing the song. And so I stopped you. Yeah. And at the time, you know, Roman was much younger and I, you were teaching Roman piano lessons. And I said, Roman come up and play. And he did a great job at the time. But after Roman, Noah came up, I think. Jackson. Jackson. Well, yeah. the, it was in succession. Right. All these, you know, the next guy came up. He was younger. He didn't get all the chords right. And, I, and, and we all sang it. It was a struggle. Then the next one, a little guy got up there on the keyboard and he played. And man, it was rough. But that's the, we were playing the same song over and over. That's the generational church. Right. Training and leading. And making sure there's room. And now... You know, we've got multiple different keyboard players and drummers and 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 bass players. They're hard to come by. Right. Uh, guitar players, and and I'm so grateful because I don't want to be held hostage by another prima donna worship right. leader or that's musician. True. That's the truth. And so the way to combat that is to start building the generational church. So, Pastor Andrew, just to the generational church because you're, you're in it right. and you've watched it yeah. you're developing in it yeah it's, it's an amazing thing to see and um it creeps into every aspect of our church or generational and every single thing that we can even think of um music multimedia you know cafe we have a cafe in, at our north campus and they're serving there they're learning how to serve people and talk to people and one of the things i like to talk about is to a lot of people is our sunday school uh, we're in a generational Church is not just a department, it's interdepartmental. We, we kind of cross lines. Right. And so a lot of times uh, we encourage our young people to go into the Sunday school yeah. to perpetuate the generational church. And mm -hmm. what they do is we'll have, you know, sometimes 12, 14, 16-year-olds go back into the Sunday school and they'll teach. They'll be in the four- and five-year-old class. And that, the idea is that they would follow that four- and five-year-old all the way up through Sunday school. And by the time they get into the youth group, they're effectively their youth leader. So you're, you're not only developing a media person or a musician, which is all great, 
or someone in the cafe, but also teachers and leaders and, and something that some, someone they can relate to and talk to. Um, so, and as a youth pastor, when I'm walking into a, a midweek and I'm watching a 12 year old operate pro presenter or, or they're operating, you know, or they're playing a, mu- a musical instrument or they're singing or practicing, I'm walking in, I'm thinking, I mean, it's kind of nice walking, not have to yeah, plan sure. all that, do these things and worry about all this. And, um, matter of fact, I've told many people I've actually retired myself. I'm a drummer. I used to <laughs> drum and, and you know what? You have to be okay with, you know, stepping back and, and letting people grow in that. And it's, it's amazing thing to think that, you know, even 15 years from now, we're going to be okay because we've got all these, uh, young people and children that are learning these things at different stages. Even my own kids are doing mm-hmm. the same thing. I think there was a time that we, the 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 people that were mowing the grass were not over thirteen years old. Yeah, we right. taught. You know, our leaders were teaching our young guys to mow the grass, and right. here's these little kids bouncing, <laughs> yes. bouncing on, on John on, Deere's, <laughs> and they're mowing the grass. So. The generational church, you know, it does make a demand of you. You you have to take someone and teach them a function. Mm-hmm. Think of what happens when we don't do that in the Sunday school. There's burnout. You know, if most of our Sunday schools are led by ladies, mm-hmm. the ladies of our church. And if there's no one to help them, if they ever get sick or 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 they want to take a vacation, or maybe that that's the day they want to stay in in the main service or something. Uh, There's no one to help them. And, and so until we train, what we're going to do is we're going to be stagnant Mm -hmm. and we won't grow because we need the next generation to come up. And really no one is ever displaced because our senior ladies love it. And they actually get to train, you know, young teenagers how to teach Sunday school. And they're still there working. Right. So it's not as if you're losing your place. You're expanding the ministry. Right. Um, Zach, as a musician and, of course, a worship leader and and the, all the different hats you wear, um, talk to me about the, tell us about the value of having uh, more than one, you know, more, more than one. More than one. Oh yes, more than one. I, I think you know. Right now, when we're looking at some of our instrument parts, we're three to five deep on some of our instruments right now. But that did, that wasn't always it the case. It wasn't always the case. Yeah. And going back, you know, fifteen years ago, and over the last ten or twelve years, when we got really intentional about sponsoring lessons and. Well, I think you should talk about that uh, and describe what that means. It's, yeah. Yeah, so we, we've we've sponsored lessons for for kids. You know, if, if there's a financial need of the family, maybe they can't afford. We've even we've even let them borrow keyboards or guitar pedals. Yeah, and just to try to grow and and try to to and, and you know it's incredible. At one point in time, the, the average age of our our band was like 19 years old. <laughs> so let let me describe that for the for the listener. What we did was we set aside a little bit of money. It wasn't a lot. We didn't have a lot of money, but we set aside a little money. And then, Zach, you got up in the pulpit on a Sunday morning and said, we have musical grants for a semester. And if you can't afford to give your child or pay for your child to have lessons on the piano, organ, drums, guitar, 
uh, maybe even vocal lessons. Yeah, yeah. Um, we'll we'll give you a grant and we'll pay for those lessons. Of course, you worked out a schedule. Maybe it was Saturday, and so out of the church budget, we were paying uh, someone to teach piano, drums, and so we had all kinds of children involved in piano lessons and drums and guitars and bass and even singing. I, I remember one of the one of the uh, one of your vocalists was teaching some 20, 30 kids yes. at one time. Yes. And of course we didn't have enough money to pay for everyone. This was uh, the grant was just for a you know, we would exhaust ourselves but but we would use that budget. And so every year, you know, or, or every so often you would do that. Now right. that's paid off for us. It absolutely has. And, and it's gotten us to the point to where it, it's rooted out territorialism. Okay. In the sense of that, it's where I don't have to worry about one person can only play that one instrument or that one vocals can only lead that one song. And now um, we've been doing these Sunday nights here lately. And it's, it's incredible to where you can see a 13, 14, 15 year old lead songs that are our, <laughs> our adults are singing. Yeah, and a generational approach. We have team members that we now know at a thirteen-year-old, and we have team members that are over in their sixties. And it's such a beautiful thing to see, just from a worship perspective, that generational approach to just leading worship. Yes. Now, but let's talk about the choir, the youth choir. <laughs> yes. And the up and downside of the youth yes. choir. Oh, yeah. Who wants to tackle that the one? The ebb and flow of the yeah. Youth let, choir. Talk about it. You know, Brother Larry Hutchings done a great job for so many years, and. um it's it's funny when when that would go up, you'd see the talent go up. And when they got a little older, they got a little older, <laughs> they get to fourteen, fifteen, some sixteen, seventeen year olds, maybe some eighteen year olds in there, and some of the the band members, some of the main vocals would get so good. Yeah. And then they graduate, and then it kind of takes a dip because now you're leaning <laughs> on twelve and thirteen and fourteen. Hey man, I, I've listened to the same song sung by different youth choirs, and sometimes it was just wonderful, like you said, and other times it was so terrible. And they were just rough, you know, and the, when, when the youth choir is young, you know, all the girls are taller than the boys. All the girls use just the whole can of hairspray. They're all thin, but they're still holding their bellies as if, you know, they're they're trying to protect themselves. (laughs) The boys are a little geeky. You know, they're 12. The girls are 12. They, they are a foot taller. No tenors. There's no tenors. No no, no one can really (laughs) sing a part, you know. But that's the generational yes. church, yes. because if they don't have a moment to sing, they need a platform to lead. Yes, yes. Then, then we're killing ourselves. I always say on, on midweeks um, when people come, if they visit or you know, so our ministry comes by and 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 comes on a Wednesday. I always explain to them, you know, Wednesdays we have a we have a Sunday night youth service, and that's like our you know our upper echelon graduated musicians and singers they're very very good they can probably lead any any church or congregation but that Wednesday crew man that's it's rough <laughs> but I love it it's like one of my favorite uh yeah, things yeah. because that's growth that's they yeah. have to have that ability to be in front of you know even singing in front of your peers is tough as it is but you're leading and their voice is cracking or they miss a beat but they're learning how to do all that they're not playing church they're they're worshiping God and and to uh, you know I think to God that's pleasing to Him. Uh, we have to facilitate that and I think a, I think a, you know sometimes where we may fail is we have to make sure we create opportunities 
as people in ministry to make sure they have those platforms to do those things. So we have to be intentional about that. Yeah, and, and of course, there's much more than just the platform. When we talk about platforms here, we're talking about serving in every oh, area. Yeah. Parking yeah. lot, first impressions, everything. Yes, all, all the areas. One of the things that, that we do here is we talk about the platform. And the plat- if the only platform is at the front of your church, you are... Uh, you're grounding yourself. You're, 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 it's a self-limitation. Every classroom, um, parking lot ministry, those are all platforms. Uh, door greeters and hostess. And, and if you have a cafe, we have a cafe. Um, that's a platform. And so maintenance, that's a platform. I mean, <laughs> you know, all of that's a platform. And we're giving them a place. We're giving everyone a place to function. Even when there's a new convert, they've got to have a place to to feel like they're contributing to their church. They may not know very much about the Godhead, but you know this is their church. They love it. They've got to have a place. I, I've often said we have a shallow end in our pool, and we we have a place. Mm-hmm. You you can come and get involved. We have, you know there's a kitchen ministry, there's a hospitality ministry. Um, there's so many things that that we want to create. One of the jobs here is, is to create opportunities right. that people can can get involved in. So we have a food pantry. It's, you know, over the years it has exploded, and I think last year we they, they gave over 119 or 129 thousand meals away. Wow. Well, you can be involved in the food pantry, and you know, you 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 may be a relatively new convert, but it's incredible to see our young people and children involved in the food pantry oh, yeah. on those nights when that thing is open. It's, it's incredible. Yeah. So there is something about this generational church that I believe it's the only church, it's the only model that the Bible gives to us. When you look at Paul, Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, your mother, your grandmother, the unfeigned faith, I, it's in you. So even at that date, which was pretty early on, Paul is pointing out a generational faith that Paul had found in both his mother and his grandmother. And it's in you, Timothy. So this was a description of it. We, when, we, when we talk about the Old Testament, this is what the Jews did. They taught their children. When their libraries were burned and the Torahs were burned and they were imprisoned, um, and and they were cast aside, and they they were in exile so many times. They taught their children, and their, their children grew up. It was that principle of Siena Duomo. We're going to continually teach this over and over and over and over again. I, I don't know if I've talked to you about this before, but have I described to you a little bit about um, the self-declaration of a church um, and the damage that that a church can can be in if it considers itself a legacy church. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a difference between a legacy church and a flagship church. Um, the flagship church, we have a few of those in the United States. They're just amazing places, and and they have generations of 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 ministers and and people. A phenomenal thing. Um, I would say, you know, like POA and and in, in uh, Alexandria, that's a flagship. Just you know, just perpetuating um, powerful apostolic um, leadership. Right. 
you know, Calvary Tabernacle, just the perpetuation of, of, uh, of uh, apostolic leadership. And, right. and there's more, you know, Stockton and, and these flagship churches. But I'm always concerned when someone says they are in a, in a legacy church. Uh-oh, uh-oh, that, that's not good. Because now, uh, and, and someone described to me the legacy church they said, the man said, yeah, we have a legacy church. I said, well, describe it to me. He said, well, you know, we're secure and now we haven't grown. And I said, well, what, what, what would be your challenges? He said, well, one of our main problems right now is that our praise team is getting old and it's hard to introduce new people because <laughs> they're legacy. And you talked about it, territorialism. Yeah. Well, what happens when that 30-year-old great voice becomes 60 years old. Uh, that doesn't look good to me. Mm. And that's not what we're about. In fact, I don't even think that's what the kingdom is about right. because that's the antithesis of a generational church. We're not growing up anyone. anyone. We're just hoarding it to ourselves. Mm. Right. Pastor, can you speak on the... Um, I know I've heard you speak on the Pareto Principle and the, how the generational church, you know, you know, you have, you know, twenty percent of the body doing eighty percent of the work. Yes, I believe that the, the generational church definitely helps that. Uh, yes, it does. I don't know that we're ever going to get to you know, one hundred percent of the people doing one hundred percent of the work. But that's what I think. I feel like we're always trying to uh, fight against is that Pareto principle. Yeah. Well, I consider the Pareto principle, and you're right. Uh, Pastor Andrew, it's it, it's based upon the idea that 20% of the people of the church do 80% of the work. <clears throat> I think that is a natural compound. I don't think you ever lose that. It's like water, H2O, two hydrogens to an oxygen. Mm. You can be angry at that. You can yell at it, but that's the constant compound. But instead of being angry, just grow the core. Grow your 20%. Yeah. If you have 10 people and two are doing the work, go to 20 people. Four do the work. Mm. Go to 100 people, 20 people doing the work. Instead of getting angry at the 80 people. Well, if you stayed angry when you had 10 people, <laughs> now you're mad at the eight people. You're never going to get to 100. I'd rather work the generational model where I'm, I'm actually training new workers and let that core grow. When the core grows, everything else grows. Right. Well, uh, one of the one of the aspects of the generational church is that what we do has to be uh, transferable because we don't want to have individual ministries that live and die with the personality mm. of the person. Years ago, we had a man here. He was a good guy, and I don't know if you. This has been a long time ago. You, it might predate you, maybe not. But anyway, this guy, he was a. He came to church by himself. He was an older man. He had a big smoker in his backyard, and he would smoke chickens. And some of those chickens would be lemon chicken, you know, lemon and all. He had all this stuff. And when people came to church, he'd had have he'd get out, come out of his truck, and he'd have, you know, in this in this tinfoil, he'd have these, you know, like a dinner for you. You know, he'd give you these chickens, and you know, uh, cooked in in the smoker or the rotisserie. And everybody liked the chickens. <laughs> and man, it was wonderful. But when he died, 
the chicken ministry died. Died. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody told me about, about a lady that always made cherry pies. And every every guest who came got a cherry pie. Um, but when she became ill, there were no more cherry pies. Mm. So the generational church <clears throat> is is defined that it's not built upon individual talent. Right. It's not proprietary. Right. It's got to be transferable. It's got to be measurable. It's got to be doable for the next person. So if we have ministries in our churches that live and die on, on the charisma of one person, that's a dangerous thing mm. because no one else can be involved. Um, in fact, if, if, it, if it lives by virtue of someone's individual talent or even burden, it actually works against the longevity of the health of the body. Right, right. So it's got to be repeatable, repeatable and transferable. Yeah. Can, can, how, let, let's, Zach, we'll put it in your world. Do you have songs that only one vocalist can sing? Oh, no. No, we have. That's, that's one of the things that we try to do in rehearsals is we, we, we let multiple people sing the same solo. Because at any point in time, but we need to pull somebody in to sing a song, they sing a song. Right. It's beautiful. But that doesn't happen all the time. No, it doesn't. Not everybody likes someone taking their, their solo. <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> That's my solo. I, you know, I've had people say, well, that's my ministry. And I, what do I do if that? Well, listen, you know, if, if, you know, if we, if we can find that, I, I think we should just talk about it because we've got to change the idea that, Every song can only be sung by one person or every ministry can only be done by one person. And it's got to be spread out because this is the way that the church grows and expands. You know, well, that song was meant for me or that classroom was meant for me. Well, what am I going to do if I don't? Well, you're going to grow. You're going to grow and you're going to expand and you're going to help someone else do it. Yeah. So good. How about measurable? Talk about the word measurable. You have a ministry, it's and in the generational model, it has to be me- you have to be able to measure it. So that means things have to be written down. How did you do it? What's the process? What did you teach? How did you teach it? Mm-hmm. What's the response? What's the expectation? So good. Yeah, in the youth <laughs> we we would track. I mean, you you look at things and you go through. You're always looking for an opportunity. There's, you know, we believe that whenever the youth are together, um, even even some of our younger staff members, it, it doesn't always have to be a child. You're, you're talking about a generational church, so it's child, teens, young adults, adults, and so on and so forth. So I'm always looking for an opportunity to stop and explain why we're doing this. And then it's also what you talked about on paper. It's processes. It's things that we do. It's our systems. It's how we do things. Uh, and it's a lot of it comes from the culture of our church and the vision and the, the mission uh, that our pastor and uh, first lady lays before us. And the culture is the DNA. It's all these different things that go on into it. And so you're looking for, you're always looking for these opportunities. And if, you know, if you're hoping that people would just catch it, you're going to miss it. So you have to, you have to take an opportunity to say, okay, hold on a second. I don't want to take for granted or just assume that you're going to know, you know, that this is why we do things, or this is, you know, how we do things, or what, you know, what, what the why is. Mm-hmm. We have to explain that. So we have to take these opportunities to stop and, and really explain it. Um, and we also have to 
to come to terms with sometimes when we teach people, they're probably going to excel. They're going to do better than you. There's, well, I've got young <laughs> people that can lead prayer better than I can lead prayer. Okay. They can take up offering or receive an offering better than I can. I could do it. And that's, you know, honestly, when I look at some of the, the elders in our church and I think of Brother Heiss all the time, and yes. one of the things that Brother Heiss would do is, and I know not all of the listeners can see this, but he would give a thumbs up or he would just say, you're doing a great job. And that's what I, I want to be. I want, I want to be that encourager, that supporter. And I looked up to him. I looked, I looked to some of our elders in, um, in service and watching a pastor preach or someone sing a song. I'm all, my head's on a swivel. I'm just looking. And I'm, I'm looking at the elders and thinking, man, they're yep. so supportive. They're so yes. encouraging. Yes. And so when we teach and we have those opportunities and they excel, we should celebrate that because uh, – when their boat rises, all the boats in the harbor rise. That's right. This is kingdom-minded, mm. right? Because the opposite—I mean, you can have indiv- you can have a kingdom, but it doesn't mean it's God's kingdom, right? But we want to be kingdom-minded. It, this, I think, we can kind of wrap up our session here. Although this particular subject is very expansive, yes. it's what we do every day. Yes. So you almost have to see this in play, uh, see this in action to understand it. But the Bible uses the word success only one time, and it's found in Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. Um, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. You'll learn uh, what to do. And then he ends and says, he, uh, Joshua writes, then thou shalt have good success. Good success. So this is our thought of success, and you were talking about it, Pastor Andrew, and and uh, Zach, you're living this uh, as as you're preparing them. The intersection of opportunity and preparation, that when when opportunity and preparation meet, that success, mm-hmm. you will be successful. Now, you don't know when the opportunity is going to come, so you just keep preparing. And as we prepare, that takes time. Right. Then there's an opportunity. When the opportunity comes, there's there there's success. It's success is at the intersection of preparation and opportunity. Right. Now we have to look at preparation because it's not always quick. It takes time. I'm not into the quantum leap. I'm into um, uh, incremental growth. Mm. You know, um, compound interest. You know, yeah. here a little, there a little, line upon line, precept upon precept. Um, over time, I realized that we can grow the church. What, what if our churches grew just, just 5% every year for 10 years? Where would we be? My question is, are we growing at 5%, 7%, 10% every year? Um, ooh, that, that, that'll cut to the heart. So we've got to grow internally so that we can grow numerically. So it first becomes internal with the vision uh, with introspective looking, with, with making sure that we're creating opportunities. And then also we want to grow uh, numerically, of course, numerically. If you try to grow numerically, but you don't have any foundation, you won't keep the people right. that are that are coming. Uh, and you may not even get the people to come. So we have to look at this particular preparation. It takes time. Right. Mm-hmm. It's interesting You see Jesus as an infant. You see him in the temple at 12 years old, 
then you don't see him at all for 18 years. Preparation. He spent 30 years preparing for a three and a half year ministry. 30 years preparing for three and a half years. He only spent 10% of his earthly life doing the actual ministry. <laughs> now we flip that. We, we want to spend very little time and spend the rest of the time uh, doing it and very little time pr- preparing. I'd rather spend 30 years of preparation and have three years of explosive ministry than to have very little time preparing and 30 years of mediocrity. So when we start talking about the generational church, we're not, Siena Duomo, that, that church didn't, it took hundreds of years before it started to look like this beautiful auditorium that it is today. People from all over the world want to come. In fact, they've roped off a lot of the floor now. They don't want you walking on it because tens of thousands, in fact, by some estimates, several million people have been in that one uh, that one Catholic uh, cathedral. It's not in Rome. It's not in the hot spot. It's just this phenomenal place where people wanted to go and see it. And it, it, it spans multiple generations, hundreds and hundreds of years. Well, how does that take place? What if we said, okay, we're not going to look for the quantum leap of this immediate 100 people walking in our church next week. We probably couldn't even assimilate those people we have to have a human infrastructure to assimilate them. Love, care, follow-up, cards, ministries, all of that stuff, space. It, it takes a long time to assimilate um, and, and to train and to teach a family or an individual. Sometimes it takes a whole church just to rally around one person, you know. So I, I would just say that if we did this an elongated form and take the pressure off. We're going to grow internally. We're going to set up a human infrastructure with ministries. It doesn't have to be everything at one time. Mm-hmm. It, I, I've been teaching this a little bit, the top, my top three of ministries. Of course, it's based upon the foundation of prayer, fasting the word, um, having a good service on Sunday, you know, sound, pretty good service. You know, you have music, and you have proper conduct, uh, and you have a good sermon. doesn't have to be a home run, you know, but studied, prepared. The, the, the top ministries that we found in our movement um, that are needful is music, children, and youth ministries. Mm-hmm. If you had no, we have got a lot of other people who have these different ministries, but, but the growth ministries, music, because that involves everyone, Music is the bookend of the service, bookends of the service. You know, you start with music, you end. That's just our culture. Um, Music involves people of all age groups. You know, it helps us even even guide people into a lifestyle because now there are requirements to be involved. People want to be involved. You might not be able to make any requirements of people if they're not wanting to be involved. But being on the platform, there's, you know, there's these are natural uh, ways we can describe uh, attitude, conduct, appearance, apparel. Mm-hmm. Children ministry is the most incredible ministry we could we could begin in our churches. Right. Uh, if you if you reach a fifty year old man, 
uh, the ratio is one to one. You reach him. But if you reach an eight-year-old girl, the ratio is one to 3.2. <laughs> the Nazarenes found this out, one to 3.2, because that little girl, that little boy, they never come alone. They come with a brother, a sister, a grandma, and uncle. You want to grow your church? Grow your children's ministry. Right. You know. And then you have youth. Well, why do you want youth? Because youth develop into young adults. Youth become young married. Youth get married and have children and they become working, the working group of your church. Mm-hmm. Youth ministry has life, it has energy, and yes, there is some immaturity there, but but those are those three main ministries. I understand prison ministry, I get it. We want to do it. Food pantry, we have that. Singles ministry, I get it. But if you had to pare it down, then what you do is you you understand in the generational model. You want to raise your children, not try to, re- I forget who said it's, it's better to raise men, that, raise boys to become men than to repair them later. Mm-hmm. I don't have the exact quote. I probably butchered that, but, but we're, we're trying to do a bunch of repair on people right. and we still, we do need to do that. But what about taking that five-year-old, that eight-year-old teaching them all the way through mm-hmm. uh, elementary school and grade school and high school mm-hmm. and, you're developing an apostolic young man. And so I would just say this generational church, it's a powerful, powerful vehicle. Um, it's not instant gratification. It's not, it doesn't come overnight. It takes work. But we're in this for the long haul or until Jesus comes back. And we want to see everyone grow in the spirit. I'm, I'm so glad that you all uh, joined me at the table today. And I hope that the people that are listening today, you will draft from this word, search a scripture. You'll find that this is the plan of God. Let the covenant continue on from generation to generation. Thanks for coming to the table. And there's so much more to come.